Well, if you've noticed, uh, we've taken a detour from Romans, and we took a hard left in your Bibles and ran back to the Old Testament to prove to you that the gospel wasn't something that just happened in the New Testament. And we want to talk about the gospel of Jesus, and we want to look in that in uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, uh, it's probably not familiar when we read the very first part of the verses, but when we get to verse 6, all of us know verse 6, um, and what uh, we want to see is what Jesus has done. Now, just a little caveat um, for you theological students that are out there, um, you might uh, know and be aware that the context here is about the nation of Israel. Uh, the context is, is about the nation of Israel. The beautiful thing is, is what Jesus was intended to do as the Messiah. Uh, it affects Israel, and it also affects us. Um, we do not replace Israel, and so that's my caveat. Um, you'll notice even in uh, verse 3, it says, You have multiplied the nation. And uh, it's not referring uh, to the church, but it is referring to Israel. Um, and so but we're going to talk about uh, the effect uh, that it has not only to Israel, but the effect that it has on us as well. Um, and so it's, it's beautiful and talking about the gospel of Jesus. And I want us to remind that, that the gospel is amazing and it has great effect and we need to remember that during uh, this time. Let's pray and share in the gospel of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to just rejoice and to be glad. And we thank you for the beautiful, the freshness of the snow and, and the way it just turns everything white. And Lord, it's so beautiful. It reminds me and my mind travels and thinks about how you purify our life, how you sanctify us, how you change us, how you use that gift of what Jesus has done for us, and how you long to restore the nation of Israel, not just to where they are today, but Lord, um, to rule over them as uh, the gracious and Messiah. And, Lord, you long for, uh, to, for them to worship you uh, the way that you have desired. Lord, we look forward to that, and what a blessing that will be. We thank you for what you've done for us in our life, for the gospel, the good news. Oh, Lord, and I just pray that uh, this morning as we look at your word, as we look at the effect that you have, and that you are telling uh, all that you will do, that it would bring encouragement, strength to our life, to our walk, would call us to, to bring our focus uh, not to the things of the holidays, the things that would uh, drift our hearts, um, our minds back to you, but Lord, that our attention would be to that which is truly glorious and great and grand, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. So Isaiah 9, it says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt 
in the land of Zebulun and in the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders and the rod of his oppressors you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle of tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. This morning we want to look at the, uh, up there it says the light of Christmas, but we want to talk about this great light. And the fact is, is that the great light has changed everything. And here it has changed everything for Israel. God, through the, uh, the prophet Isaiah, is telling Israel that he's going to change the things that have happened they are dealing with, with hard things, partly because they've rejected God's word. They've rejected what God has said. They're dealing with oppression. They're dealing with torment. They're dealing with hard things. We know that during this time, it was the year 734, and both Syria and both northern Israel that had broken away from Judah, they were both allying together and seeking to attack Judah because Judah wouldn't ally with them to, uh, against uh, the Assyrians. The Assyrians were seeking to come in and threatening to overthrow uh, the northern kingdom. And so Syria was fearful of the Assyrians. Uh, you know, the, uh, they're up in the northern regions going over towards Babylon. And, and so there's this threat of war. There's threat of all sorts of things going on. We know that Judah, uh, in Judah, King Ahaz would not agree to do all of these things. So there was all these impending doom and threats of war. In fact, God was telling them that they're going to be brought into captivity, that they're going to be brought under judgment and things are going to happen. But we see nevertheless, or we see the but here in verse 1, but there will also there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. There, there we're going to see that we see basically a salvation is going to come. We're going to see the prophecy of something that's going to change everything. Um, there's, uh, everybody is struggling. We can look at today and what we see is today we can see gloom. We can see dire straits, we can see war, we can see threats, we can see hurts, we can see pains, we can see stresses, right? The stresses of the holiday season, no matter what's going on, you know, as 
is there's not enough gifts, not enough money, not enough this or not enough that, not enough time. I'll never forget the first time I was down at Masters as a student and I was traveling back. I, I was excited. I, I was in Bible college and, and I went home and I traveled and I drove home and I went and I saw everybody I could see. I, I tried to see every single person wore me out. It was, it was not enough time. I remember I spent a day here, day there, everywhere I went. I was just so excited. And it wore me out. And sometimes we do that during the holidays. In verse 1, we see something quite amazing that's going on in this prophecy of the great light that was going to come. And there was gonna, this great light was going to change everything. This great light has turned the gloom to glory. Gloom to glory. If you notice in verse 1, he says that in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali was in the north. It was where Zebulun and Naphtali, the tribes of Israel, were supposed to take the Galilee region and drive out uh, the, the Canaanites that were there. And they were supposed to take it, but they did not do that. It became known as the Galilee of the nations. Um, there was great contempt. God had contempt for them. They had mixed and they began to serve other gods. They stopped listening to the Lord. They, they were worshiping idols. And God had contempt. But the great light that God was prophesying about, that the son that was going to come, Christ that would come later on, he was going to change it from gloom to glory. You look down and it says, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea. The way of the sea is referring to the way of kings or the way of the sea is, was a path that was traveled during ancient times going along up and it would go up and through the Galilee region. And God was saying that he was going to bring glory to there. And what's interesting is Jesus came to Galilee and he ministered in Galilee. It was first where he ministered. And it was direct fulfillment to this prophecy in Isaiah. Galilee was dark. And our world, just as Galilee was dark, our world is dark today. But the light has dawned. The light came to Galilee. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 17, we know that Christ's ministry in Galilee was a direct fulfillment of what Isaiah was prophesying here. It says, Now when he had heard uh, what John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwell in darkness, have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. What was his ministry? Jesus went on to say in verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So I was sharing the gospel, sharing the good news. Repent and believe. 
That was the thing, is that he would take that which was gloomy and dark, and he would make it glorious. Jesus has that effect to take what was was in contempt, that which God holds in contempt, and he can change that and make it into something glorious. We know in Romans that we've been studying that God's wrath is going to be poured out on all unrighteousness. And those that feel like they are worthy because of a good life or going to church their whole life or being born into the right family or having the right religion, we know that in in chapter 2 he says, hey, you are without excuse. For what you are judging others, you will also be judged. We know that God will judge rightly all mankind. And the fact that sin has that effect, it brings God's contempt on all mankind. But that's the effect that Jesus has. That's the effect that Jesus has to the nation of Israel, that one day he will reign supreme. It says in, in uh, we know if you've been studying in Pastor Ralph's uh, class on Fridays, you know that he went through Revelation. He talks about uh, the millennial reign of Christ and that one day he will sit on the throne and reign here on earth for a thousand years and he'll reign over and he'll bring the nation of Israel back and there will be, he'll bring the remnant of Israel and he will reign over them as ruler, as king. Jesus has that effect to take that which is gloomy and to glorify it. The other thing that we see here is not only that, but he goes on is in verse 2. This is the great light. Jesus has turned darkness to light. In verse 2, he went on to say in the text, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light who dwell in the land of deep Darkness on them has light shown. He has brought a light to show on them. Not only that, but that's the effect that Jesus has on us. This is the great gospel that he has created light in darkness. Without Jesus, we wouldn't have light. We wouldn't bear light to our sin. We wouldn't know our sin. He wouldn't expose the sin in our life. Without Christ. In this prophecy, we see that this is the effect that Jesus has on not only Israel, but it has on us. Second Timothy, Paul says in verse 10 of chapter 1, it says, And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolishes death and brought life in immortality to light through the gospel. That's what Jesus does. He takes the darkness and he brings light. Colossians 1, 12 through 14, it says, Giving thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saint in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. That's the work of Christ. He is the great light bearer. He is the one that shows us the the futility of our life, the darkness. This is the great news of what Jesus does. 
We don't create light. Israel couldn't create light. They tried to through all their good deeds and through all their, the things that they did, but they could not do it. Jesus does that. Nevertheless, this is the great effect that Jesus has, that he can take darkness and transfer it into light. Ephesians 5.8, it says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice the modifier, in the Lord. Our light comes through Christ. So therefore, he says, walk as children of light. That's what the great light is. That's what Christ does. Without him, we would have no light to see our sin, to see our need of a savior. The third thing is, is in this prophecy that prophesies about Jesus and his coming and his effect that he has not only on the nation of Israel but on us is this, and that is the great light has turned oppression to joy. In our text, verse 3 says, For you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. For the yoke and the qualifying, why are they so joyful? It says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his presser, you have broken as on the day of Midian. God has turned oppression, the oppression of a great burden. Israel has been burdened by many enemies, by many different things. They are, part of their oppression has been fact that they have rejected the word of the Lord many, many times and gone off the rails. But here we see that God has turned the oppression to joy because he has broken the burden of the oppression. He's talking about uh, in the day of Midian. You'll know, you remember the story of, uh, the, of Gideon and the Midianites? You know, the Midianites are now, if you hadn't read this in Judges 6 and, and Judges 7, it goes all the way through Judges 7, but you know that the Midianites, hundreds of thousands of Midianites are coming against Israel to destroy Israel. And and, and God says to Gideon, go get uh, some men and I will deliver the Midianites to you. And so Gideon finally, after he says, are you sure? And is this really what you're, you know, he's really uh, tests the Lord. But uh, he says, call a bunch of men. And so 32,000 men come to go fight the Midianites. Now they're, they're vastly, vastly outnumbered. But God says, no, that is too many men. Go, that, that's too many men. Go, go back and send some away. And, and then there's 22,000 men. And he says, that's still too many because I don't want you to say that we got the victory. And finally, there's 300 men left. 300 men left and he says okay now i will deliver you from the midianites with the 300 men and they didn't fight but god destroyed all the midianites god gave them up gave them the plan and said do this and i will destroy them and and they did 
what God said, and the Midianites were destroyed. Right? And God said, I don't want you to get the victory. And they were overjoyed at what God did. God broke the burden of their oppression. God does the same thing for us. Jesus did that when he came to save us, when he came as a child, when he was born in humility, but as the Son of God, when he died for us, he breaks the burden of our sin. He crushes and he frees us from that burden so that way we can live in joy. Look what Paul says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. He says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much, much affliction. Look, he said, you became imitators of us and the Lord with the joy of the Holy Spirit. First Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, Through you, you have, though you have not seen him, you loved him. Though you do not know him, uh, do not now see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, attaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The psalmist said in Psalm 4, 7, says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and wine abound. Galatians 5, 1 tells us why there is such great joy. It says, for, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Not free to just do whatever we want. Stand firm, therefore, it says, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, to the bondage of sin. Sin holds us in bondage and in contempt before the Lord. But the great light, Jesus has turned that oppression of our sin and the bondage of our sin that weighs heavy on your life. And he's turned it to joy. He gives you freedom to experience that great relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, we see just as he saved Israel from the Midianites and broke their bondage. He breaks our bondage. But the great light has turned war to peace. I don't know if you noticed, but it says down here in, in uh, verse 5 and 6, but it says, For every boot that tramp, uh, of the trampling warrior uh, in the battle of tumult, the battle of tumult, or that shakes the ground, Right? And, uh, and the burning and the fuel of the fire, it says that they'll take the garments that's filled with blood of war and they'll roll it up and they'll, they'll burn it. And it says, what it's talking about is that all the things of war are going to be gone. They're going to be burned. That he's turned the war to peace. That's what Jesus does. God takes away the war that is being fought, the war of your flesh against the spirit, the war that is going on that we see not only one day all the war that is going on right now, Israel is always at war. One day when the king of kings returns during the second coming of Christ, he will reign and Israel will be at peace finally. But you know that war that's going on in your heart? That war between your flesh, the war that's going on with sin? Jesus 
takes care of that war. He defeats that war and brings peace. Peace is not something that you supply on your own through your good deeds. Joy is not something that you produce on your own through your good deeds. It's a a byproduct of what Jesus does through his light and reveals your life when he takes that oppression and breaks it when you've responded to his gift. When he died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day and conquered death. He breaks the effect of sin. Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate war. The ultimate war is that wrath that we deserve. We were at war with God until Christ did the work and saved us. When Christ saved you, when Jesus shone his light on you and you realized you needed a savior and you responded to him and he saved you, when you repent and you believed and he saved you from your sin, your oppression from your sin has been lifted and joy has come and peace now has come because you're no longer under the wrath of God. You're no longer under that consequence of your sin. That's what's so beautiful about what he says to the disciples in John 14, in verse 26. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring you to the remembrance of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, let them neither be afraid. Jesus' peace isn't just a a peace or a truce. It's a peace. that It's a satisfying peace. It's a peace because Jesus' death on the cross satisfied all of God's wrath. It's what makes Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 so beautiful. So it said, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is peace. He has made us both one and has broken down his flesh and the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in his ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in its place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore by killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you all of you who are afar off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You no longer are afar off, but you've been brought near. That's what Isaiah is prophesying about. He has brought... Peace, And one day the nation of Israel will see the fulfillment of this prophecy that Jesus, they finally have peace when they receive their Messiah. Say, so look at all, look at the great gospel that was proclaimed through Isaiah that not only affects the nation of Israel, but affects us. The same gospel that through Christ's work and death and burial and resurrection on the cross affects us. 
glory, light, joy, and peace. From gloom and darkness and oppression and war. From one side, all the effects of sin in this world has to offer to everything that who God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the conclusion. The good news of Jesus Christ's coming is sufficient for all things. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is the word in, in uh, John 1 that we read last week. It says not only is he the light of all mankind like we're talking about right now, he's the great light. He exposes everything and shows us everything that we need. He is the one that changes everything in your life. He is not just a baby that we celebrate on the 25th. He is the very thing that we need. He exposes every little chink in your armor, every little crack in your relationship, every little uh, crack in your armor that you, you have, whether it's through work or school or sports, whatever it is that you find goodness in. He is the light that exposes the fact. The reality is, is that without Christ, you're not going to have what you need. Jesus' coming, that was foretold through Isaiah and prophesied 700 years before his coming, it shows that he is sufficient. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word is God. Right? And it became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled with us. He is the tabernacle, the very expression. He holds the whole glory of God. He is 100% God. And he is sufficient for all things. That's why Paul told Timothy that all scripture is useful for every aspect of life. Because Jesus is the transforming agent of our lives. Maybe you've been living a good life and you've been focusing on yourself and, and you've been living in gloom and darkness and oppression and war and you don't realize that he is the light that brings glory to that which used to be contempt. That he is the light that shows your sin, that you need a savior, that he is the one that brings joy and he is the one that brings peace. Respond to the gospel, the good news. Jesus is the good news of your life. As believers, are you treating Jesus as sufficient? Is the gospel sufficient, the good news of Jesus sufficient for your day? He will turn the gloom and oppression of your life to joy if you respond to him. One way or the other, whether you're, you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ and surrendered to him or whether you have, he is our sufficient Lord. Do you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength?
And I pray that the reality of this prophecy 700 years before his actual coming, and then we celebrate that his coming, you know, his first coming 2,000 years ago. But may it cause us, in, in this prophecy, there, the verbs are as if it has already happened. I don't have time to go into all detail, but it's amazing because he's prophesying this as in using verbs as if it has already happened because it's that sure. And he's coming again. And if he's coming again, are you ready? He is sufficient for all things. Will you respond to him this holiday season? Or are you going to respond to everything else? May the snow and the gifts and the family just be the little things. But may Jesus be everything that makes it all sufficient in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sufficiency. Lord, forgive us because we add so many things in saying that we need this and we need that. If I only had this, if I was a little more stable, if I had a better job, a better one, one thing or another, if somebody treated me better, there's all sorts of things that could be going through our minds. And we think that if we just had something else, that life would be better. But Lord, help us to see that as you've prophesied to Israel and as you have shown through your work on the cross and through the Gospels, through the epistles, through the New Testament, that, Lord, you are more than sufficient for every single aspect of our life. And so, Lord, I pray that whether we've put our faith and trust in you or whether we've already done that, if we, that we would just continue to love you to respect you, to fear you with great awe and rejoice and find joy and peace in you as our sufficient Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.